Living by faith is a race like no other race where each competitor is guaranteed to cross the finish line. Let us pray. Father, as we come to these first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12, we would ask for you, O Lord, to open our hearts and our minds that, God, Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word to us, that you would work it deeply into our souls, that we would be convinced that you are faithful and that you would strengthen us to trust you and to rest in your power to live by faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Or actually, keep standing. We need to read scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. Athletic competition is often used in Scripture to illustrate living the Christian life. Over the years, I have competed in a few 10K races, Sometimes I felt really strong and felt like I ran well, it was almost effortless. And then there were times where I really struggled. And one time I really struggled was back in my seminary days. I ran a 10K in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, the race started, I felt okay, but quickly I began realizing that I was really not up to the task. I was struggling. I felt like carrying a heavy pack on my back and at the same time dragging an anchor behind me as I ran. Had I not prepared, had I not eaten the right foods, had I not gotten enough sleep, who knows? This I do know. I wanted to stop away from the race, but I dug deep down inside, so to speak and found enough energy to actually finish and cross the finish line. The race of faith is like that. Sometimes we run with endurance and strength, and at other times we are hindered and distracted and struggle to keep running. Our text today encourages us how to run the race of faith, we are to run with endurance and finish. And the text speaks of three aspects, the competitor, the competition, and the course. And so we'll just work through these two verses, beginning with the competitors. Look at the first part of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the, the author in, encourages us to look to those in the past who have completed the race. Verse 1 calls us to look to the past for encouragement today. The verse begins with therefore, and of course you always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's to draw our attention back to chapter 11. 
We spent about three weeks in chapter 11 learning about the definition of faith, looking at the examples in the 16 lives of those Old Testament saints that help us understand the reality of faith. And I want to also suggest that not only are, is, is the author telling us here to view those 16 Old Testament saints as that cloud of witness, but, but I would commend to you that in a secondary way that we include every faithful believer who has lived and finished the race. I think one of the biggest problems of our day is thinking that we need something new and reject the past. We need to look to the past and learn from it and be encouraged. <clears throat> I've been encouraged as I have looked to the past uh, through biographies. Maybe you like to read biographies. And one missionary biography that remains a source of encouragement uh, to me is the story of the very first missionaries that set sail from our land. They were commissioned in 1812 at the Salem Tabernacle Church. And they set sail from Salem. There were five families in all. The, the commissioning organization was what became known as the American Baptist Foreign Mission Society. Adoniram Judson and four other families set sail. They were heading to India to minister the gospel, only to be forced to make port in what was known as Burma, modern-day Myanmar. And, of course, they had to make this detour due to the weather and the difficulty in sailing in that day. Judson was incredible. I mean, it's, it's amazing all that God did through this. He translated the Bible. Into he is credited with writing the standard Burmese dictionary. He established schools, trained preachers, and at one point he was imprisoned and tortured. God used this man to lay a foundation for the work of the gospel to go forth in Burma, Myanmar, even today. His story is encouraging and inspiring. His witness of living by faith helps me keep on keeping on living by faith. These men and women that are this cloud, really the cloud there means a host, a great number, a great company of witnesses surround God's people generation after generation, and they serve as witnesses. And, you know, when we think of witnesses, we, we often uh, think of one giving their, their testimony to something in a, in a trial, in a courtroom. Or we think of witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ to someone in an evangelistic endeavor. And both of those are certainly ways that we use the word witness. But here the saints of old that formed this, this great company, this, this host of, of witnesses, are not spectators looking at all of us 
and seeing if indeed we're living by faith like they lived by faith. No, they're not spectators. Quite the opposite. They, they are witnesses. They testify to the fact that by God's power, the race of faith is possible and it's possible to finish. They testified really to the reality of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people. And the Greek word translated witness is a word from which we get the word martyr. A martyr is one who gives up his life for faith in Christ rather than to renounce faith in Christ. Now remember to whom was this letter written? It was written to those first century Jewish Christians who were pressured to renounce Christ. And here the author of Hebrews is pointing them to the fact of the martyr, this great cloud of witnesses who, who uh, is a great company really of martyrs. Now to be a martyr doesn't mean necessarily that you have to give your life for faith in Christ. Many have. We've already sung two hymns that reflect this. But in a sense, all, every believer is a martyr, a witness that we give testimony to the reality of the glory of Christ. And in a very real sense, all of us are martyrs in that we have died because Jesus himself says that all those who would come after me must take up their crosses daily and follow me. Die to self, die to all in order to, to be my disciple. This great cloud of witness, these, these martyrs surround God's people and they testify to the fact, to the reality of living by faith. It is not impossible. It is not a wish. It is not a crutch. It is real because the object of faith is real and almighty and loving and gracious and faithful to fulfill his promises made to all his people. And he's faithful to call us and to equip us to run the race of faith and finish. We are to view ourselves as martyrs in this way. Future generations of God's people will look back to the cloud of witness surrounding them, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, and others in chapter 11, and in a secondary sense, all the faithful saints throughout the ages who have run the race and finished, and by God's grace, May future generations look back and even see you and me as part of that great host of martyrs, of witnesses, declaring by the power of God, you can run the race, endure, and finish. May we race knowing that one day our lives may, will testify to God's work of grace and gift of faith 
and as such be an encouragement to others to keep on keeping on living by faith. For living by faith is a race like no other race where each competitor is guaranteed to cross the finish line. But then we also learn something about the competition itself. Look at the second part of verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Heartbreak Hill, have you heard of that? Heartbreak Hill is about mile 20 on the 26.2 mile course of the Boston Marathon. It is steep, but it only climbs 91 feet. Compared to other major marathons, like the one in Chicago, New York City, the Marine Corps Marathon, and the Marathon in LA, Heartbreak Hill is comparatively small. So why the reputation Heartbreak Hill? It is located in Newton, Massachusetts, and it begins at about mile 17, and as runners cross mile 17 of the marathon, they will encounter four hills to climb in Newton, Mass. And the last hill to climb at about mile 20, mile 22, is Heartbreak Hill. It's the steepest of the four climbs, and it has been the undoing of many runners. It has dashed the hopes of victory. Do we encounter heartbreak hills in the race of faith? We surely do. Given the fact that hills that challenge runners and hills that challenge us as we run the race of faith, how are we to compete? The author coaches us on how to compete. The way we are, we are to compete is to run with endurance. And how are we to run with endurance? The author tells us two things. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely to us. The word translated clings is really important to understand the meaning of every weight and sin. In the original language, cling, cling refers to those things that hinder and distract. Thus, every weight and sin are those things, things that may not be sinful and things that are sinful that hinder and distract us running the race of faith with endurance. An athlete's training often involves setting aside certain foods and lifestyles that are not bad in and of themselves, but will hinder and distract them in both training and competing for an event. And you all know I love cycling, professional cycling teams. They have their, their own chefs that travel with them, and they are very careful to prepare certain foods that are designed to precisely fuel those athletes. And the athlete needs rest. He needs to recover. And so during a race, they, they are kept from distractions. I suspect cream brulee with a side of apple pie a la mode would not be part of the diet of an athlete training 
before a competition. But if you're like me, you hope that is what comes after lunch today. You know, when you think about what might not be sin, but might be something that we would need to lay aside because it would be a hindrance or distraction to us in the Christian life. There are many things, I think. And what might be that for me might not be that for you. But I just want to give you one example. If we, saving for the future is not bad. Would you agree? It's a good thing. It's a wise thing to do. But if we are so vested in building our nest egg, that is good in and of itself. And it hinders and distracts us from being faithful stewards of our money, our tithing. Then we need to lay it aside in the sense that we need to get our priorities straight. That's just one example how something good can be a hindrance and a distraction. And of course, there are many things that are sinful and will hinder and distract us from running with, with endurance. The, the author is, is not so much focused on a particular sin here, but he is focused on sin in general, the, just the disastrous effect of sin in our life. It hinders, it distracts, it weighs us down, it trips us up, it ensnares us, it entangles us, and we can go on and on and on about the effects of sin. It impedes, it hinders, it distracts. I was out for a run some years ago, and, and somehow, I don't know how I did this, but I did it. I got both of my feet caught in one of these plastic binders for the use to bind old newspaper stacks. Back in the days, when I was a paper boy, I would take these things out. Well, somehow, I got both feet, it's only about that, both feet in that thing. I fell flat on my face. And that's what sin does. It trips us up. It ensnares us. It keeps us from running with endurance. We may be tempted and drawn to a sin. Before you know it, we are no longer focused on the race of faith. But we're running after that sin and all the empty promises of it. The remedy is twofold. First, to lay aside means to seek God to reveal those things that will hinder and distract us, good things and bad things, and that we would turn from them, that we would resist them, that we would flee from them, that we would lay them aside. Let's not go there. We know for us this is going to impede our race of faith. And then for those who, for those, I should say for those of us, because we all fall into this, who find we are weighed down with sin. We, we have turned from running with endurance and running after some sin that has hindered and distracted us. What does laying aside look like? Repenting. Owning sin. Confessing sin. Repenting of it. Hating it. 
the author calls us to lay aside those hindrances and distractions and run with endurance. To, en- to endure means to, one, one way to look at it is, is to reach deep down inside for strength and fortitude to press on through hardship and adversity. And in the race of faith, that, that inner strength, that, that fortitude that is deep down inside is not our own power. It is the power of God that he has promised us through faith. Brandon read from Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, and here we see God's power. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The author encourages us to lay aside those weights and those sins that hinder and distract and to trust in the Lord to give us power. Even when we feel exhausted in the race of faith. Even when we want to quit the race of faith. Like I wanted to quit that 10K in Salem. Or when we face Heartbreak Hill after running 20 some miles. After running up three previous hills. We hit Heartbreak Hill and we just want to quit. We can't do it. We struggle. The author, as well as Isaiah, calls us to flee to God and to trust his gracious provision of his power to strengthen us, to renew us, that we would run with endurance, not being weary, not being faint, that it might even look like we're soaring through the race. On eagle's wings. Living by faith is a race like no other race where each competitor is guaranteed to cross the finish line because of God's power that renews us. And then lastly, the course, I'll be just a tad bit briefer here. The race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You see this in the last part of verse 1, the first part, and all of verse 2. And so the author here describes the course and the goal of the race of faith. I mean, every race has a course, doesn't it? No, No less the race that is set before us. And again, this course is like none other because it is blazed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the pathfinder. He is the first one to run it. He blazed the trail. He is the first one to cross the finish line. See, in a very real sense, our goal is not to win the race. It is to finish because the race has already been won. (laughs) Think of it like that. 
Thus, the author exhorts us to look into Jesus. Run. Fix our eyes on Jesus. As one source notes, faith depends on him from start to finish. And this is what the author means by Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith. Faith reached its perfection in Jesus. And again, a great scholar, F.F. Bruce, wrote this. The whole life of Jesus was characterized by unbroken and unquestioning faith in his heavenly Father. He brought faith to perfection by his endurance on the cross. The pioneer of salvation has made perfect through suffering and has therefore taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. By faith, Jesus blazed the trail of faith to the very throne of God. By faith, he experienced ultimate humiliation in the incarnation. He endured the cross, the, the, the greatest physical suffering in history. He, he bore the shame of being despised. He suffered the wrath of God for the sins of God's people. He experienced being abandoned by God. And the text says that was his joy to know that his work on the cross, his finished work on the cross would be applied to his people so that they will run and not be weary and they will cross the finish line and they will come before him at the throne of God. Do you see the goal? The goal of the race is to be where Jesus is, at the throne of God. I mean, truly, this is a race like none other. By keeping our eyes fixed on him and running the course that he blazed, we will cross the finish line. We will share in his victory. And I believe this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 24, where Paul says... Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. We run so that we may obtain it because Jesus has already received the prize. We, ru we run having already won. Just another way to look at it. You know, when you think of it like that, then the heartbreak hills are not that heartbreaking. Even when we feel like we're dragging an anchor and running with a pack on our back, it seems to get a little bit lighter and a little less when we realize, wait a minute, <laughs> Jesus has already run this race, he's already finished, he's on the throne, and I am running there to be with him. He's promised it. Run with endurance. Share in the triumph of Christ. That's the goal. We are to be encouraged by the cloud of, of witness, witnesses who ran and finished before us as they testify it is possible to run the race of faith because of God and his power and his faithfulness. We are to be mindful of the many hindrances and distractions as we compete and diligently flee them. And when we embrace them, repent of them and trust in the power of God that we would be renewed even 
running and not growing weary or faint, even soaring as on eagles' wings. And we are to run fixing our eyes on Jesus who has already run and finished. That we may share in his victory when we cross the finish line. John Kelly. 61 Boston Marathons. He was 84 years old when he ran his last one. Kelly died at age uh, in 2004. In 1936, he was first in the Boston Marathon, but then mile 20. And he, as he started to climb that little 91-foot incline, that came to be known Heartbreak Hill, he was passed and actually finished fifth. Hence the nickname Heartbreak Hill. But he kept running. 61 Boston Marathon. His longevity and endurance in competing is a dim reflection of the truth in our text today. That with our eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting in the Lord's power, that we are to keep on keeping on running in the race of faith, assured that we will cross the finish line and stand before Jesus, sharing in his victory before the throne of God. There is no doubt that this race is a race like none other. It is a race where the competitors are guaranteed to cross the finish line. Are you in the race? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, we are so weak. We're so frail. It seems like the least little incline just almost does us in. Other days we can become so prideful because nothing seems to bother us. Lord, the whole time, if it's running uphill, running downhill, we, we, we need Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. We, we need your power that we would run with endurance that we would lay aside all those weights and sins that just hinder and distract, and that we would run in the strength of the Lord, looking only to Jesus. Bless us with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 604, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart. Please stand. Mm -hmm. 